Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross at Managing Editor, FightfulMMA.com, Fightful.com. Remember, do your boys a solid. Go over to YouTube.com slash FightfulMMABoxing. Subscribe to our new YouTube channel. We got a lot going on over there. Interviews, news, podcasts. We're going to have that Tyson Fury, uh, Deontay Wilder post show from Carlos Toro this Saturday. Lots of coverage on that on Fightful.com. Lots of exclusives from uh, Wilder and Fury, but we have four MMA cards this weekend. Right now, I am joined by one James Lynch. James, how are you? I'm awesome, Sean. Always good to be here. So much to talk about. You mentioned the cards coming up here, and then for a weekend that you know didn't have a strong UFC card, uh, we sure have a lot to talk about after last weekend. Yeah, uh, between Golden Boy and four events to preview, there's a bunch going on right now. And a couple of the headlines that, that jumped out to me as we were going on the air one, we have Sage Northcutt, who is no longer with the UFC. Dana White said on UFC unfiltered that he is going to let Sage Northcutt essentially uh, walk away for a little while and kind of get his bearings somewhere else. As we are joined by showdown, Joe Ferraro, James, what did you think when you heard this news of Sage Northcutt? Not surprising. Um, I think what it really comes down to and something I think a lot of people are missing when they're talking about this, uh, you know, the, with Sage not being with the UFC is that he got paid handsomely in the UFC. I mean, I heard upwards to $80,000 for certain fights and, you know, there was a lot of incentives for him to fight. And I know he was a big, I mean, he came into the UFC, I think around the same time that Mick Maynard was, you know, with Legacy. So there, there was that relationship there as well. And they were really high on him. I mean, they they built him up. They tried to make him like he was the superstar. So he had this big paycheck. So I think when it comes down to it, you know, free agency's coming up or his contract's running out uh you know he's probably expecting to get paid the same if not more and the UFC's probably like you know what not really getting much of an investment back here in terms of the numbers and everything like that so um I knew this was going to happen if I was a betting man I'd say he ends up in one championship just with the fact you know we talked about this before that you know they the Asian MMA scene they they love guys like Sage Northcutt you know he looks like a Dragon Ball Z character so to me um I think that's where he'll end up but this is not surprising whatsoever Am I right? And I believe I heard that he's in Italy where Bellator is doing a show this week. Yeah, he is in Italy. Um, I don't know if Bellator, I thought Bellator is doing a show. Oh yeah, I guess they have that other show in Italy. Cause I was going to say they have that show in Oklahoma coming up here on uh, Friday. Yeah, yeah they're, they're in Italy on uh, Saturday. They, they got the Sakara right. yes. fight. So yeah, the Alessio Sakara card. Yes. So a lot going on. What does it say to you, Joe, that we're sitting here talking about a guy making 80 grand and that being too much. I, I, Honestly, I'm not surprised, right? I mean, uh, the, the, it's weird how the writing was on the wall with this because they put so much money behind him before uh, in promoting him. And, you know, he was the next sort of, uh, I wouldn't say superstar, but at the same time, he was that guy that, you know, is that that one guy or one of those guys that can touch that mainstream and bring in that mainstream audience. And I remember the whole Paige Van Zandt thing, that storyline and stuff like that. So, uh I guess there was, you know, like James said, that there wasn't any return uh, on the bang that was being spent. So they decided, you know what, not now, not going to happen. Go apply your trade somewhere else. If he does end up going to one championship, 
That's the latest in a series of good moves, I think, for them, James. I mean, we've, we've heard Danny White say that they are a financial juggernaut, and maybe he doesn't even make as much as he was in the UFC. Who knows? But if they're rocking with Misha Tate as a figurehead, Rich uh, Rich Franklin as a figurehead, and you have Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, Eddie Alvarez, and Sage Northcutt, I joked when they signed Eddie Alvarez that I was going to have to pretend to care about a card twice a year. I might actually care. You throw all, I mean, they're not going to throw all three of them on a card, but if you have them can, competing consistently, I will at the very least be watching the main or co-main of some of their shows. Yeah, and I, I, I've said this before. I think one championship, while they have done a great job of sort of marketing their their Asian market, they haven't done a very good job of marketing their North American market. Um, you know, in terms of uh, you know just advertising and other things. But th- this is encouraging. I mean, if they do end up picking up Sage Northcutt, that is a good signing for them. I think, despite people's disdain for Sage and you know everything else, you know, thinking that he was sort of favored, uh, you know, in terms of matchups and things like that, people will watch. I mean, he is newsworthy. Look at just how much people are talking about him today. So I think if he does end up going there, that will only you know help them uh, from a North American perspective, because I think a lot more fans would be more inclined to watch one championship if there were more North American fighters and certainly picking up a Sage Northcutt would uh, sort of add to that. Another up and coming prospect, although uh, one with much more success, perhaps the breakout fighter of 2018, Israel Adesanya is booked to face Anderson Silva at UFC 234. I'm just saying guys, who booked it? Who booked it? (laughs) Joe. It was me. I booked it. What do you think of this? I think it's fantastic. I think it's great for for Israel to to have an opportunity to put a legend, a victory over a legend, um, on his resume, uh, and he's got the skill set to do it. Uh, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but Anderson Silva generally has a weird way of not being motivated for fights. Um, and I could see him just not being motivated to fight this guy, despite the fact the danger that Israel brings to the octagon. Um, he could surprise us, guys. He could surprise us and, and, and teach the kid a new lesson or two. Uh, but I'm not liking it for Anderson right now, only because you know it's time is catching up to him. He's not getting any younger. Uh, he hasn't really shown that he, he is who he was in the past. And I'm not liking this fight for him, to be honest with you. James, your thoughts on this matchup? I don't like the matchup. I've been very vocal about this in social media. I even made a video about it. Um, I just to me, it's like this is a step back for Israel. I mean, he was you know get some good momentum here. Had the big one over Tavares. Had the big one over Brunson. I get what they're doing here. They want to get him a win so he can fight the winner because the issue here is is that Israel didn't want to be a backup fighter. He actually wanted to compete so he could be a backup for that title fight. But he still wanted to have a fight if that didn't pan out. I, I can understand that. That's fine. But uh, clearly, they're you know they want to get him the win, and the way they'll sell it is. Oh, he's got to win over a former UFC champion. But I, I don't think, I think a lot of fans right now, um, the ones that I've been seeing are sort of smelling through this, which is that Anderson is not the same fighter he used to be. He's 43 years old. He's barely fought in the last couple of years. Uh, he's not ranked. Now, I know part of the ranking, him not being on the rankings, is the fact that, you know, he had the USADA suspension, which, by the way, was a contaminated supplement, apparently not, and, you know, something he knowingly took, what we're hearing. But nonetheless, I mean, just do some simple MMA math here. Uh, Silva went to a split with Derek Brunson, a fight that he arguably didn't win. And Israel Adesanya just beat Derek Brunson in the first round. So like Joe said, I don't think this favors Anderson very well. And how about we look about this from Anderson's perspective? We're talking about one of the greatest fighters of all time. And you're giving him to the sort of the, the, the next guy. And I think there's a very good chance that Israel can completely dominate this fight. Is that how you want to treat one of the legends of the sport? To me, I don't think it's the right move for that. And even if Israel wins, the hardcore fans, they're not going to sit there and say that was a notable win because Anderson's on the tail end of his career. Let's talk a little bit about UFC Beijing. The two top fights, man, 
If you want to watch the fights that matter on this show, you didn't have to spend a whole lot of time. Francis Ngannou cracks and not or TKOs Curtis Blades early on. Now, the stoppage, I saw some people say it was early, and considering it's Curtis Blades, is it out of the realm of possibility for him to come back from that? No. However, I think this was more of him. That, that storm, it's going to be hard to weather that storm. Granted, he did against Overeem, but when... <laughs> When a guy like Ngannou is raining down punches on you there, even if you're aware and you're cognizant after the stoppage, doesn't mean that things were going to get any better for you. Joe, I like the stoppage. Francis Ngannou needed this win, and he got it. Yeah, in real time, I didn't mind the stoppage. Uh, but I did question it the minute uh, Curtis jumped up. I thought to myself, okay, you know what? It is a main event. Uh, it is technically a title eliminator fight, especially for Curtis Blades. Perhaps give him a little bit more leeway but like you said it is Francis Ngannou uh and it's the guy that you know the three of us talked about last week which one is going to show up uh is it going to be that one that underestimated Stephen Miocic is it going to be that one that didn't even fight uh Derek Lewis it was the old one that showed up and you know he, there was a lot of venom in his punches so it, it from a referee's perspective you are there for the fighter safety number one and I guess, you know, I think it was Goddard, if I'm not mistaken. He basically said, yeah, you know what, Curtis, that's enough because this is not someone that's not going to not gonna be able to hurt you. This guy's got power. And, you know, it was weird because I don't know if you guys watched the replay numerous times. I don't, I don't even think it was the right hand that hurt Curtis. It was more or less the left hook. And with Curtis coming in uh, face first, running into that left hook, which wasn't thrown very hard, but there's, there's power there. Uh, that's what I think rocked him. And I think it was more of a, um, you know, a wrestling clothesline that dropped him afterwards and then of course the finishing technique afterwards but the stoppage itself uh in real time I, I i agreed when i saw it but immediately as soon as curtis popped up i'm like oh geez wait a second let me see the replay so james your your thoughts on on this fight uh, yeah it could have gone a little bit longer but that was not a bad stoppage in my opinion uh, when i and same thing with joe i watched it again and i was kind of like yeah not not that not I mean, you know, probably could have gone a little bit longer just with it being a main event, but that's that. But it was just sort of the perfect shot because I don't know if you saw it. It kind of hit Curtis in the back. And, you know, when you get hit sort of towards the back of the head, you go down like a sack of potatoes. Um, so it was sort of the beginning of the end there because you have all people to have on top of you when you get knocked down. Francis Nagano is not that guy that you want there. So, um, you know, Blades losing. Big, big loss for him, obviously. It's kind of interesting. I pointed this out on the post-fight show. Uh, you had two contenders earlier this year in Volkov and Blades who now are not going to be fighting for the title at all because they both lost so it just goes to show you how quickly the sport can change around and how Francis Nagano is now a contender again I mean there were people talking about him going to Bellator and now here he is right back in the driver's seat so this is a huge win for Francis Curtis will be back I mean it's one of those things where it's heavyweight MMA you get caught in my opinion he just made a mistake and to be honest I don't know if we've learned anything about Francis we haven't learned about his cardio we haven't learned about his takedown defense we haven't learned about a lot of things because this was just a fact where Curtis made a mistake Francis capitalized and Francis can still knock out anyone in that division yeah, and, and Curtis is a very young fighter. I was going to say, I think Stipe Miocic is the biggest winner in this fight. And mm-hmm. he didn't even compete and hasn't since he lost the title. But Derek Lewis just lost the title fight. Curtis Blades just lost the fight. And Ganu's lost two of three. So, I mean, he's he's up there, but he'll need to win again. Volkov just lost. Dos Santos fights this weekend and is looking to piece together a two-fight winning streak. If Tuivasa wins this weekend... That's a big one for him, but we'll get to that later. Uh, let's talk about Alistair Overeem, who is also in that conversation. He looked real good against Sergey Pavlovich, James. Um, 
This was the type of performance that Alistair Overeem also needed, and he got it. You certainly did. And uh, taking out a prospect in Pavlovich always looks good. Um, You know, I saw some people saying this was bad matchmaking. I disagree because, you know, realistically, Pavlovich, 25 years old, he didn't fight the level of competition that he was that he's going to be fighting in the UFC. And and that's fine. He'll come back and bounce back. But for Overeem, he needed this, you know, had some losses, Um, you know, training with Curtis Blades clearly paid off. He looked like the old Overeem in this fight, really technical, really, uh, you know, able to utilize his shots. And again, he's back in the driver's seat, too. So, I mean, he's a big enough name where you could put him in any fight that's interesting uh same with francis as well um yeah there, there's lots of options here i mean you know it's it's heavyweight mma so anything really goes at this point but for overeem certainly back in the driver's seat i thought that pavlovich had fight, fought at least a couple people who were ufc qual at least caliber not top five top 10 anything like that but at least could hold their own in the ufc for overeem uh joe he beats an undefeated fighter he writes his shit because he lost to Ngannou and Blades back-to-back. And it's wild to think because he hadn't really been that long without a win. He won last last July in, in 2017. He had two wins last year. He hasn't went without a win since 2013. Like, that was the last year that he didn't get a win. So he's still, despite the fact that sometimes he'll get just cracked and, and beaten, he's still hanging in there. Yeah, he did get hit in this fight. There was a couple times he did get yes. hit, so um, I was personally impressed with him because sometimes at, at this stage in a fighter's career, that you know when they start getting rocked, it, you know they start to crumble. He didn't. He he weathered it and he continued to go and he showed an absolute. I mean, he executed a great game plan. Right, took his opponent down to the ground, uh, bought, bought his time, had to clear the legs, and eventually cleared the legs and started nailing down those hammer fists and then ended the fight. So very impressed with Alistair's performance. But again, he's he's one of those guys that you just really never know which one is going to show up. And, you know, I'm pretty sure James is going to say it. it's a heavyweight fight. You never know what's going to happen in a heavyweight fight when these guys start landing those bombs. So for now, it all depends on, you know, what, who does this guy fight next now? Because you said it, Sean, he, he righted the ship, right? He's back in the winning column. Um, you know, where does he go from here? Who does he take on next? Uh, it's, it's tough to say, but overall, I was very impressed with the performance because this was a performance that made me believe, again, that Alistair Overeem has that fighting mentality uh, and not that I'm just like, I mean, in that Nganu fight, it was, I sensed a bit of fear in him, right? And once he got tagged, it was a terrible, terrible punch to take, but it was game over. And, you know, sometimes, like I said, these guys with experience, I think he has 89 fights, including all the K1 stuff. I mean, there's only so much the human brain can take, right? So, and, and he took some shots in this fight. So good for him. Looked really, really good in victory. And we'll see where he goes. And I'm sure the UFC matchmaking team will think he's relevant now. A couple of other uh, noteworthy moments were Lee's spin kick or his kick that, that finishes deal, yeah. and Smoka's return to the UFC. Smoka had lost four straight UFC fights and was out of the UFC roughly at the beginning of last year because he, he lost the fight on uh, December 30th. Won three fights, got back in, had a good performance. I mean, this is a guy, James, who you speak to pretty often and fought like five weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and, and I literally just talked to him and uh, found out that he actually was planning on retiring had he not won this fight. So just put that in perspective of just, wow. you know, the, the magnitude of what went into this. But, you know, he's on a four fight win streak now, really turned things around. We talked about it on the pre-show, him moving out to California, him being sober. I mean, he had an alcohol problem when he was in the UFC. So for him to come back and get the win he did, that in itself is huge. 
Um, you know, I talked to him as well about fighting at Bantamweight. He seems to be pretty good there. Um, you know, obviously he doesn't have a choice because the division's gone. But uh, nonetheless, I think this is an exciting addition, uh, you know, back to the UFC. Smolka, not that long ago, headlining a card in Ireland. So, I mean, this is a guy they should really build on and a guy that, uh, you know, has a really good story. And I think you saw that with the support he had after the fight getting the win. Joe, anything else on the show stand out to you? Um, Jessica Aguiar getting beat up the way she did. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. it was one of those things where I was like, you know, she initiated the takedown, got taken down instead, and and Zhang Wei Li was just ruthless um, to the point where I watched the you know from the takedown on again. I know it was early; it's basically the fight. The whole fight was when the takedown took place. It was thirty seconds in, but I started thinking to myself, you know, at, at straw weight. What could she bring to this to this to the rankings? What could she bring to the table now? Because it's not the fact that she she defeated and dominated a a pioneer in the sport and someone that's been around the sport for a long time. We maybe expected somebody younger to win this fight in this manner. It's the domination, um, the transition, the the elbows, the the triangle choke, the fine triangles not working. I'm adjusting the arm. I'm, I'm bringing the wrist over. I'm controlling. It's squeezing. It's working. No, you know what? Armbar, armbar, armbar. And the fact that she got it against the brown belt and Jessica, who's very experienced, who, you know, nine times out of ten will defend that, although she was rocked with all that blood and stuff like that. I'm impressed with the performance by Wei Li, and I wonder, you know what, is it time for her to now really, you know, get out of the Orient and come over to North America or at least be put on cards internationally where she's competing against better competition? I think she's ready. I'd like to see her against someone in the top 15. Also, it's worth noting that Chinese fighters 6-2 and two on this show – so they are going back to China. There's no way they're not going to. Well, they win. opened up the institute there as well, right? So they're, they're yeah. going to start putting in some I mean, heavy money over there. This, this is. I mean, you're going to see probably these same six fighters who won on the next show as well. I mean, why, why wouldn't you? Okay, well, I guess it's time to talk about it. <laughs> it's it's that point, you guys. Golden Boy MMA. Oh, my God. Where do we start? So last week, Oscar De La Hoya barely, I mean, Tito Ortiz is telling people happy Easter at the weigh-ins, which is probably because Oscar De La Hoya crucified MMA this week. Like, we, we'd be lucky if it were resurrected, much less three days later in the form of Easter. But it, in fact, was Thanksgiving. Oscar didn't know anybody's names. He had said all this stuff about how disgusted he was with UFC pay. Then we find out that the pay scale over here is all messed up. Chuck Liddell saying that he wasn't getting a flat fee. He was just getting a pay-per-view cut. Then we find out he was getting a flat fee. We don't know. Like, nothing made sense. The fight, I get it. It was a money grab. It had to happen. Chuck Liddell versus Tito Ortiz. I pulled over on the side of the road at a California market, it was called, on my way back from Starcade to watch this. And myself and the infamous Nikita Krylov fan <laughs> took about 10 seconds to see the way that this one was going to go. You all can see James's full post-show review up on uh, our YouTube and FightfulPods.com. Joe, it was pretty obvious from the jump, Chuck Liddell, not there. It was bad. He was slow. He had pillow hands. His footwork was bad. He moved away. He wasn't aggressive. This didn't resemble anything. Only only in, you could have put a Chuck Liddell hologram out there, and it would have looked more like the Chuck Liddell that we remembered. This goes back way, 
way back to when this fight was first announced and how we all reacted to it, right? I, I read, I saw a lot of the sad quotes and embarrassing and blah, 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 blah. And I, I, I just sit back and thought to myself, well, what did you expect? What did everybody expect? You know, Chuck Liddell should never have competed. And that's what we said. But I also said, we're all going to tune in and we're all going to watch. And then we saw it, we watched it, and we were like, oh, oh, oh. And everyone's eye, I think somewhere deep down inside, was like, this is exactly how it was going to go down. This is exactly what we were going to see. You know, Ortiz was going to win this fight, and that's what we all predicted. Chuck Liddell hasn't competed in such a long time. And, you know, we talked about it. I talked about it last week for sure. Speed goes, accuracy goes, power stays. But if you can't throw it with, with speed and accuracy and it doesn't land, power doesn't count. And you know, Chuck was a, a shell of his former self. He had no business being in there uh, whatsoever. And, you know, I, I sincerely hope he doesn't compete again because this kind of, if it truly tarnishes his legacy, all right? I mean, his legacy is fantastic as is, but he shouldn't be competing again. And, and it's it, what I saw when I watched this fight was exactly what I envisioned was pretty much going to happen. It doesn't surprise me one bit. This was miserable. It was sad to watch. Tito just flattened Chuck. When's the last time Tito knocked anybody out on the feet? 2006, October, Ken Shamrock. My! And I, I don't know that that strays too far from my point. Because it's Ken Shamrock. Man, that was hideous. A uh, uh, filthy knockout. Tito announced his retirement afterwards. Chuck did not. He says, <laughs> James, Chuck had the balls to say, I'm not in any frame of mind to be discussing retirement right now. You weren't in the frame of mind to be discussing a return, but you did it. Now, he's made at least a quarter of a million dollars off of this. Tito claims this did 200,000 buys. You you buying that, James? No. I mean, we'll see. But, I mean, we, we didn't even talk about this. Um, you know, they, they were supposed to have a Black Friday sale for the pay-per-view. And uh, Golden Boy stepped in and said, nah, that ain't happening. So you had to f- pay full pop. And I think for a lot of people, just the, the price tag of $40 US uh, was too high. Or I think it might have even been higher. I know in Canada, it was like 60 bucks. So uh, I, I think that definitely hurt them. I mean, why not make things easier? Why, why not try and make it? Uh, I mean, look, the, the, I don't know if you heard what happened with the Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson stream where yeah. they had an issue with the purchase button. And they're just like, ah, we'll just give it away for free. So. I mean, to some degree, you got to help your customers out. And I feel like they didn't do that in this situation. This was sad, man. It was rough. And Tito said, I hope Chuck keeps fighting. No. No. I saw people saying CM Punk versus Chuck Liddell is a real fight that could be competitive this day, to, today. I don't know if I buy that. I don't know if I don't buy it. Because honestly, I don't know what either man has. I tweeted that. Chuck Liddell should fight John Jones, but by that I mean the guy who actually owns the John Jones handle, who gets all the confusion follows off of him. That seems a little more competitive at this point. Uh, I think we should now officially, uh, as if we couldn't before, put an end to all this dumbass talk that happens. Like, this isn't the Rocky Balboa movie. Chuck Liddell wasn't going to come out of retirement and compete with John Jones. Chuck Liddell got knocked out of the sport seven years ago before John Jones had even reached his peak or even reached the title. And for all for Chuck Liddell to have the balls to say, oh, yeah, I was going to come out. I could compete. No, you couldn't. Stop it. Cut it out. Tito can't either at this point. Man, do we see Tito fight again, Joe? Because like two or three different times, 
he said he's retired. Well, I think in the interview with Frank Mir in the post-fight interview, I think he was trying to take off his glove. Am I mistaken with that? He was trying and it wasn't coming off. I thought that was going to be his ceremonial. And uh, it is kind of hilarious that his retirements never go the way that he wants them to. <laughs> right? So I thought that was it. Uh, I, I, The way he's talking about Golden Boy and the way that you know he wants to get this all up in the air and you know pay the fighters what they should be paying and blah, 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 blah. Uh, hopefully he, you know, if, if that's the role that he wants to now partake in and no longer compete, I think that would be viable for him. And maybe he can step into more of a suit and tie role uh, than stepping into the octagon. I think it's just one of those things where I don't believe he should be competing anymore. Uh, I think he should, uh, for Tito Ortiz, this is perhaps the way he should go out. He avenged the, you know, the two losses against Chuck Liddell, got the victory, albeit not, you know, in their prime, but he got the victory. It's on his record. You know, perhaps it's a good idea to retire. I don't know. I feel like Tito and the sport of MMA are both safer with him inside the cage than him with a suit talking into a microphone acting as a figurehead. That's dangerous. Did you see, James, the discussion he was having essentially with himself about how resilient he is because his grandparents are old? Yes, I did see that. Again, this is what I was talking about last week. Uh, You know, he just doesn't do himself any favors in interviews because there's clearly some CTE there, some dyslexia. I don't know what it is, but he just he 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 shouldn't just be near a camera at all. He should have someone writing all his stuff for him, and then he won't be this this budding joke. And that's what I was getting at too. Is just that you know he is a legend in the sport, but unfortunately, the newer fans just see him as this punchline. Yeah, and like you said, he doesn't do himself any favors. He can be. I've heard he's a nice enough guy, but he also has an ego about himself and who doesn't, but he allows himself to be put in that situation. It's really unfortunate. The only other fight really worth mentioning on there was Duran Wynn getting a victory over Tom Lawler. The way that I put this after the fight was it's not a bad loss for Tom Lawler, but it is a great win for Duran Wynn. Tom Lawler was facing a lot of time off. Duran Wynn had never faced anybody of Lawler's caliber, who was a fringe top 15 guy as he left the UFC. James, this is a good one for him. I'm hoping that he gets a Bellator offer. I'm sure Bellator would love to make an offer right now, uh, but I'm surprised they hadn't before. I mean, you're going to get Daniel Cormier sitting cage side at your fights if you signed him. Um, I think he's going to the UFC next. And I think uh, just based off the fact that, uh, you know, his buddy is Daniel Cormier. And I think there's some pull there. And I also think that um, he might have some trouble in the UFC because he is such a small light heavyweight. We do have to mention that he's 5'7", which is not something you see every day for a light heavyweight. But we'll, we'll sort of see what happens there. But um, I don't think a lot of people know he fought for Bellator before this fight. It was on the undercard. And, and I know that they could obviously sign him to like one of those long-term deals. It was just sort of a local fight. But um, I don't know. I, it seems like if they wanted to keep Duran, they would have made more of an effort effort to not make him a free agent. So I think UFC might be where he's headed to next. And maybe they do put him at light heavyweight because that the talent pool there outside of some of the top fighters is pretty grim. Also, they paid him like, I think, $2,400 for that fight. Not not Golden Boy, Bellator did. So oh, he right, was yeah. on, he wasn't making anything. I think he made like $10,000 for, for this show. Uh, Joe, he was a minus 365 favorite going into this fight, which I thought... You know, even though I thought he was going to win, I thought that was – I would d- definitely have put five on Lawler heading into this, but I couldn't find odds anywhere for the undercard leading into it. Uh, what did yeah. you think of his performance? Um, I, I just want to take aim at what James said about being 5'7 and a light heavyweight because generally speaking, after Thanksgiving uh, and or Christmas dinners, I'm very close to 5'7 and a light heavyweight. If 187 pounds makes you an official light heavyweight, I'm close – 
sometimes. Gladly, I walk around as a middleweight at 5'7", and sometimes I can get close to 170. So, James, please stop with the 5'7", light heavyweight comments. It's heartbreaking. I did that with a grappling tournament once. I weighed at the minimum weight that I could yeah. just so I could medal at that that weight division. Because I said I wanted to medal in two different weight divisions. Oh, no way. Yeah. yeah so, I, so I hit the minimum or the yeah the minimum weight that I could. Uh, we've got several cards coming up this weekend. But before that, John Jones did the ESPN car wash this week. I always joke that within two weeks of Thanksgiving, there is some big interview that drops. Uh, ever since I've started covering MMA and pro wrestling. 2014, it was CM Punk after uh, he left WWE. In 2015, it was Helwani's with uh, John Jones. 2016, John Jones was on the Joe Rogan podcast after his latest controversy. Last year, it was Paige in WWE after this sex tape scandal. And in 2018, a three-time winner, John Jones after his latest controversy, the ESPN car wash, but nothing that that major came out of this interview. James, he said that USADA makes mistake or doesn't make mistakes, which they, they actually do all the time. We talk about it. John doesn't seem like he's never going to change. John Jones is never going to change. And I've come to terms with that. I'm just ready to watch him fight and not screw up anymore. Yeah. And, and again, uh, I talk about Tito needing a PR guy. Uh, John, Jones, yeah. John Jones needs ones for different reasons because he says stuff like this. And then, you know, we, we talk about it and, and stuff that just, you know, clearly like, I don't know where he's getting this information from, but, uh, but yeah, he's just, he's just got to get in there and fight. Just no interviews, just get right in there, go for it. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, he's, he's got it. He's got to keep himself relevant. This fight is coming up pretty quickly, actually. Uh, it's going to be heading, uh, you know, happening next month. So um, yeah, I mean, I just hope John Jones makes it to the fight and, and we can watch him compete. Joe, I've mentioned this before. It is nothing short of miraculous that by the end of this year, John Jones still will have competed every yeah. single year. That is nuts. Even though it's over a year between each of these fights, January two thousand or yeah, January two thousand fifteen, April two thousand sixteen, July two thousand seventeen, now December two thousand eighteen. Does he fight in two thousand nineteen? That's the question I have for you. History tells us he will. Yeah, he will. He will. I just, I know what's going to happen as we get closer to this fight. The three of us, um, you know, one of us may be cynical and one of us may not. You know, I, 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 I've given this guy way too many uh, benefits of the doubt. I'm starting to just say, you know what? I don't, I don't care anymore. Please just fight. Stay out of trouble. You're, you're just too talented to not be competing. Stop tainting your legacy stop tainting your career just dude like i mean thomas on the live chat just mentioned it as well when you know john said he's still drinking and smoking pot like ah john stop 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 saying this stuff i know it's, it's it's legal in so many states and whatnot here in canada just don't man try and try and make an attempt to be clean or, or act like you're clean right so um i want to see the guy compete he's just so skilled so talented but it, it's it's the MMA gods and karma guys where it's like, okay, he competed. Oh, let's just wait for the headlines. Let's see if we can catch something with this guy. Right. So we'll see. We have four shows this weekend, not even including Wilder versus Fury, which we will have coverage of. And Carlos will have a live podcast after that show. I think I'm going to do basically a weekend wrap up of MMA after the uh, Australia show on Saturday night. But let's talk about it. The ultimate fighter finale. I want to ask you, James, 
is this the finale of Ultimate Fighter finales? Dana White says no, but I don't believe we have any news on another season of the Ultimate Fighter yet. Every time we think it's the last time, we get more and more news. I will say, they have, I mean, it's not like the UFC uh, tough formula hasn't created some names. It has, even in recent years. You've got a heavyweight and you've got a women's featherweight. Uh, that, that increases your your percentage there. And we know we've got Juan Diepa and Justin Frazier who are both pretty solid heavyweights. But first off, I want to know, do we see another season of this? Yes, we will. Uh, ESPN needs programming. They'll throw the Ultimate Fighter on there. It's just people got to understand the business of television. And, you know, ESPN, as much as they have all this content, they're going to need stuff to put on their app, to put on other things. So I think we will see the Ultimate Fighter continue. That's just my thoughts. And uh, in terms of, they, you know, what they, they run drone races and college softball on exactly. Saturday afternoons. So. Exactly. Tough would probably draw better than that. As much as people don't think it would, I mean, you get the casual fan or someone who's slipping through the channels and two people are fist fighting, they're, they're going to probably tune into that. So that's something to consider. But to answer your other question, I think the problem with the Ultimate Fighter, uh, just quickly, is just that, you know, back when it first started, there was no LFA, there was no contender series. So you were getting the best prospects on the show, and now you're not. And you mentioned we're going to get a heavyweight winner. That is true. Are we going to get a featherweight winner? I think we're getting a bantamweight winner because really they haven't, a lot of the women that are on this season are bantamweights and they're probably going to drop down to bantamweight after they win the show or whatever happens. So, um, you know, they, they could have got featherweights like a Felicia Spencer who they opted not to go with or Aubrey Wolf or there's a lot of featherweights in Invicta. They just chose not to go that direction. They went with bantamweights instead. I know it's because they have to cut the extra weight on the show. I get that. But I mean, this isn't going to produce someone that's going to fight cyborg anytime soon. Let's just put it, put it that way. Uh, also, we might get a 38-year-old heavyweight winner at that. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, which is really like 20 in the division, if you think about it, right? I mean, how the, the division's pretty old. I think the average age is like 35. Here's another issue we faced, Joe, and it's one that we faced for a long time. You got Panny Kianzad in the finals, but here we are on Tuesday. This show is on Friday, and the general public does not know who she is fighting in the finals of this. This used to be the attraction. The finals of the Ultimate Fighter. It's either going to be Leah Letson or Mary Kiasen. And how do I ask you to make a prediction when we don't know who they're going to face? Yeah, it's all part of the television uh, ratings, right? That's uh, You want to find out who she's fighting? Tune in. That's all it really is, right? Yeah. So there's no way we're going to make a prediction on something like that. Um, you know, there was a time when I knew who the uh, winner was going to be. Uh, now I don't, but... It's one of those things where it's it's they're driving. They want to drive the trap. You want to know that bad, ladies and gentlemen? You have to watch the show. If not, you wake up the next morning and you'll find out exactly who it is because all the pages will be updated and all that jazz there. So it's – it's uh, James, I, I totally get what you're saying in terms of the content, right? Um, with Sean saying that they're showing drone races and college softball on ESPN, um, yeah, I think you're bang on. The content is going to be required. Uh, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see, though. Um, because I thought the Ultimate Fighter would be done with Fox, uh, it, it wouldn't go over to ESPN guys. But now that I think about it, it'd be interesting to interesting to see who from ESPN would be behind the production of the Ultimate Fighter and what kind of changes a they would make from um, a storyline perspective and or a production perspective to see how they can jazz it up. Only because I mean it's it's run stale. With the oh, vast yeah. majority of people, I'm—I mean, it, I have not watched a minute, let alone a teaser of this season of the Ultimate Fighter. In fact, James, when I am scrolling through the stations that we have up here, and the show is on, 
or about to start, I just want to see what's on my PBR. Right. Let's talk about some of the fights. My question is, will a Boston Salmon be able to survive the desert, James? Uh, I don't think he's fighting on this card. I thought he was. I thought he was fighting. Nope, his opponent's out. He's. Uh, I don't think he's, he's fighting so on the card. So he can't! <laughs> he can't! You have Rick Glenn against Kevin Aguilar. You've spoken to both of these guys. Yes, uh, Kevin Aguilar, don't sleep on this guy. Um, we saw him on Contender Series, didn't have a very good performance, but that was a short-notice fight, up a weight class at lightweight. This guy is a killer on the regional scene. He was the LFA champion for a while. He's got an 15-1 record, has knockout wins over a UFC veteran, Damon Jackson. I mean, a lot of his wins are highlight reel finishes. And he's taking on Rick Glenn, who I know he's coming off a win over Bermudez, and he certainly has the experience here. But um, I don't know. I, I think Aguilar's a guy to uh, you know keep an eye on as a dog in this one because I think he's very live uh, in terms of this matchup. And it's, it's it should be good. I mean, Glenn likes to you know th- trade strikes as well. I think this is going to be potentially fight of the night here uh, with, with Glenn and Aguilar. There are a couple of other familiar names on this prelim card. We have a former Habib victim in Daryl Horcher, but Tim Means and Ricky Rainey. Tim Means is always a good fighter to watch, Joe. Sorry, I lost you there for a second. I said Tim Means is always an entertaining fighter to watch, at the very least. Three bird. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely love seeing him. He's a heavy favorite, though. Minus 340 against Rainey. I don't know if I like that. This uh, Ricky Rainey, guys, tell me if I'm wrong, but I might put five on Rick. I mean, that's there's a bit of a gap there. I know Tim uh, is a fun fighter to watch, but that, to me, is a bit of a gap. I thought it would be more in the minus 250 area for uh, Tim Means, but, yeah, this is going to be a fun fight. It's, I mean, the, the card itself doesn't have too much of a name value. There's some good fights on there. I think this is going to be one of them, and I won't be surprised if, if Rainey pulls off a victory here. There are also some fights that actually matter. Joseph Benavidez, who may be looking at a different kind of future with the Bantamweight division going in the direction that, that it is, he's looking to get back on the right track. He had won six in a row, lost to Sergio Pettis via split decision earlier this year, uh, was set to face Ray Borg, Earlier this month, but Borg pulled out. Instead, he draws Alex Perez. What are you looking for out of this one, James? I'm looking for Benavides to. He really needs this win. Uh, he really does. That was not a good performance against Pettis, a fight that he was supposed to win. And now he's the underdog in this matchup against Perez, who's Perez. Joe, you know, he's coming off the biggest win of his career over Jose Shorty Torres, completely dominated him. I mean, that fight. Torres just looked completely lost, and Perez coming off a big win. Um, and, and we should point out, this is at 25, despite the fact that they are getting rid of that division. Um, and Perez cuts a lot of weight to get to 25. He'll make weight, but just something to consider as well. Oh, they um, would even yeah. book it there. I don't know. Well, Ben Wynn's also fighting at uh, featherweight, or sorry, at uh, flyweight as well this weekend, and he's in all, you know yeah. against Wilson Hayes. So that's a fight as well that, for some reason, is at flyweight. We have Antonina Shevchenko, the sister of Valentina, competing on the card against Ji-Yan Kim. Ji-Yan Kim uh, has won her last two fights, but you got to imagine, with this being Shevchenko's coming out party, essentially, Joe, UFC wants her to pick up the win here. Yeah, and I think the odds are also inflated in this one here because of the name value at minus 280. And um, in, in looking at how these odds basically started she was um you know she was up in the minus 270s and then it dropped down to to minus 385 so it's it's kind of moving up again so i think the name value is what's driving uh the price here they definitely want her to win they're you know as weird as it sounds they 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 really like valentina obviously um you know although valentina has questioned some of their motives and stuff like that especially with the 
you know, the previous belts that she's had, especially with the decisions that were, you know, not given to her before. But they are fans of, of the Shevchenko family, uh, of the sisters. So I think a victory for her here would be great, make her look good. Um, it's still a fight. We never know what's going to happen. But I think they're, they're banking on, on potentially building her as well in the division. James Darren Stewart is an interesting name. He came into the UFC, got that win over uh, Francimar Barroso, but had it overturned due, due to a headbutt, then lost three in a row. And usually when that happens, you're gone. You hit the bricks. He's now, after that, looking for his third consecutive win and is on the, the main card. I believe he's on the main card right now uh, of this show. No, actually, he's on the prelims. But he's facing an undefeated opponent. Such a Such an odd unique trajectory for this guy certainly is and we should mention that uh, edmund i believe that's his name is actually a uh, part of uh, glendale fight club with uh, Ed- edwin Fervinian, uh ronda rousey's old coach i ain't um, got and, five and, on him ex- <laughs> well <laughs> i was gonna say put five oh. on stewart he's the underdog here and you know stewart's got a few more fights than and than edmund does edmund looked good on contender series that's what you know got him on the sh- um got him into the ufc but darren stewart i mean you know both of his fights against spicely and bird he wasn't looking good in the early on and he was able to come back so i mean that's something to consider here because uh stewart right now is the underdog but uh but yeah i mean i don't know i i, I anyone that fights at a glendale fight club you got to put uh, an asterisk next to it because you never know what's going to happen Let's talk about one of the more interesting fights on this show. Brian Caraway visiting Munoz Island because that's what he's got to feel like he's doing this weekend. He's got no Misha Tate. He's got no top position in the Bantamweight rankings. The guy almost never fights, and now he's fighting uh, twice in a year for the first time since 2014. He's got some good wins. Aljamain Sterling, Eddie Wineland, Eric Perez. Those are good wins. However, in his last fight against Cody Stamen, I thought he had a nice, fast single leg, and that was really it. That was really all I saw. Pedro Munoz has a little bit more than that, and this is a very dangerous fight for Caraway. I'm interested in what the future of Caraway is after this, because obviously UFC probably doesn't give a damn about Misha Tate anymore or whatever that relationship may be between the two. She hit the bricks and visited one championship. Joe, who do you see winning this fight? And if Caraway loses, what does that mean for him? He hasn't finished a guy since 2014. He is like rapidly just descending down the ranks. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's been a it's been a long time coming in terms of him descending down the ranks. It's he did come out with an, in an interview and said that you know his head is clear, uh, everything's been taken care of. It was you know it was a rough patch uh, for the past year or so, maybe two years. Uh, but in Pedro Munoz, it's, it's going to be a tough, tough scrap. I think these odds are, are exactly where they need to be. Minus 245 for Pedro, plus 205 for Brian Caraway. It's not a fight I'm putting five on either guy, uh, but I am looking towards Pedro to you know weather the initial storm uh, and then just completely take it over. James, what do you think of this one? Well, more than just a rough patch, there's a lot of stuff people don't know about Caraway. First off, he was technically a free agent earlier this year. He basically begged Dana White to get back in the UFC. Uh, he got new management. They worked things out. So Caraway at this point thought, you know, was starting to look at like ACB and, and everywhere else. So so that's something to consider. I mean, he's getting a second chance here. Second thing is, uh, aside from the Misha stuff, which has been well documented, don't need to go into that. His dad suffers from PTSD and he actually uh, flew him into Vegas to live with him. And his dad apparently is now in like a home and he's being taken care of. So Brian had a lot going into that Cody Stamen fight in a matchup like Sean referenced that was pretty close could have gone either way so yeah. um, I expect Brian to look a lot better here there's probably a fire under him to sort of prove you know people wrong including the UFC uh, Joe says there's no value on this fight I think there's value on Caraway here now Pedro Munoz I should point out 
really good, impressive winning streak here. The, the win over Rob Fun, especially during that streak, has looked great. Uh, looking back on it now, just what Rob's done. He beat Brett Johns in his last fight. Uh, Pedro's last two losses were against Dodson and Jimmy Rivera, both split decisions. So a really tough cookie here. If I'm making a pick, I'm going with Munoz, but don't count out Caraway here. I think there's definitely some value on him as an underdog, just with the fact, seems like he's got everything in order. Um, and, and the other thing also I didn't mention with Caraway, his coach died, obviously, Robert Follis. So, um, yeah. you know, he, he's had a lot to weigh on, you know, before his last fight. Now he's ready to go. We'll, we'll see what he's like with a clear head. Yeah, his, his world has definitely crumbled. You got this main event, and it's a good one. Kamaru Usman, Joe, who you know, know very well, taking on Rafael Dos Anjos. If Usman wins here, he's got to be in the title conversation. I mean, he should be anyway, but this is the fight that he needs to win to get there. Can he do it, Joe? Or will he do it, rather? Can he do it? Yes. Will he do it? Obviously, he remains to be seen. Um, he is a minus 270 favorite. I think that is based on Hafiel's last performance per se. Um, no, sorry, not last, pa- pa- not last performance per se. I think there's a little bit of a youth factor here in Kamaro, in my opinion. Um, it'd be interesting to see how, because Kamaro has really shown that he's a cerebral fighter. He will not engage in his opponent's strength. He will take his opponent to where he believes he has the strength. Uh, we saw that in the Damian Maya fight, most specifically. So uh, I think Kamaro does emerge victorious here. Uh, I think uh, if it was up to him, he'd prefer more than 15 minutes. Or sorry, he's happy that he's got more than 15 minutes uh, to get the job done. Because with with Rafael Dos Anjos, you've got to be very, very careful. Because, uh, man, does he have a lot of power there. Uh, Rafael can knock out Kamaro in, in the blink of an eye. Uh, I could potentially submit him as well. So Kamaro is going to be very strategic in this fight, in my opinion. And hopefully he does, uh, for my sake, just on the personal level, he does emerge victorious. Uh, so he can come with me to Kazakhstan next month and call a Titan event. So interesting. James, your thoughts on this main event? I think we saw the catalyst of how to beat Rafael Dos Anjos in his last fight when he fought Colby Covington. And you could argue that Kamaru Usman is, is you know, potentially a better wrestler than Colby. Is he going to have the same pace? That's the question. Can, uh, you know, Joe referenced it there, the, the longer the fight goes, it, it favors Usman. I mean, we'll see how his cardio is, uh, you know, going five rounds. But that's the way you do it. You neutralize RDA. I mean, Robbie Lawler had a difficult time with RDA in that fight uh, where RDA was basically just out striking him, doing pretty much what he wanted, had the leg kicks. If I'm Usman, I'm going back to my wrestling and I'm really holding uh, Rafael against the cage. It might not be a pretty fight, but I think Usman will get it done because, again, you saw in that last fight against Colby, if you want to beat Dos Anjos, you neutralize those weapons and you hold them up. And, you know, Dos Anjos couldn't keep pace. And I, I have a feeling the same thing's going to happen here. So uh, I, I look at Usman um, by decision. And uh, just looking at that prop, actually, because that's uh, something uh, worth doing. Uh, Usman uh, wins by decision is minus 140. So if you want a little bit more value there, I think that's probably the way the fight uh, goes. Yeah, I've got Usman in this one. And then Saturday night. We have UFC Adelaide, a couple of interesting fights there as well. Uh, we have Ben Wynn against Wilson Hayes, a couple of uh, decent flyweight fighters there, James. What happens to the loser this fight? I, I'm inclined to believe that they would stick around. Well, I asked Ben Wynn about that yesterday in our exclusive interview here on Fightful. You guys can check that out on our Fightful MMA and Boxing channel. But basically, uh, he hasn't been told anything. Um, but I would imagine he told me that he has uh, you know two fights left on his deal, but as we know, I mean, if you lose, you're, you can be expendable at this point. Look at what they did with, you know, Jose Shorty Torres and, you know, some other guys as well. So 
Um, I don't know what the future is. I would imagine if you're these guys, especially if you're Wilson Hayes, I think you need the win. I mean, I think they'd be more inclined to keep someone like Ben Wynn, who, you know, has a bit of a personality, speaks, you know, pretty good English, uh, you know, for the most part and stuff. So, uh, or no, definitely speaks good English. I shouldn't say that. Uh, but, but in general, I think whoever wins this fight needs to win this fight because Bantamweight is going to get crowded, not only for the Bantamweights that are already there, but you've also got some guys that won a contender series like that Domingo Pilarde, who is yet to make his debut. They're going to need to move some guys around. So I, I think the winner definitely uh, has to do it to, to stick with the UFC. You have Alexei Kinchenko, 19-0, taking on Yushin Okami. I think this is a pretty good opponent after he defeated uh, Tiago Alves. But you also have uh, some other interesting names on this show, headlined by Junior Dos Santos tied to Ivasa, which is a, a, such a magnificent fight. But it, it doesn't stop there. Shogun Hua, Tyson Pedro. If Tyson Pedro wins, it's a big-name win for him, Joe. But uh, if Shogun wins, it keeps him in the mix. It's that fight, man. It's that matchup where it's like, hmm, realistically, what happens here? Because, you know, Shogun, who uh, I, I've been saying it for years that I think um, it's time for him to retire. It's time for him to hang up. But then he keeps pulling off these victories. He keeps, you know, proving us wrong. And then it's like, okay, you know what? He's convinced us. He's doing good. Uh, you know, he's in that title mix, believe it or not. One win away, blah, blah. And then he gets knocked out, like, brutally by Anthony. Right? So... It's tough to say, but Tyson Pedro needs this. Doesn't need this win, but it's going to look good on his resume to have a victory over Shogun. And Shogun is is you know one of the next guys in the, of that golden age of MMA or that golden era of MMA that's going to have to you know put those gloves down or put those gloves away. So I don't know, James. I mean, you tell me, but it's one of those situations where it's like I feel like time is running out and it's 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 getting thinner and thinner for Shogun Hua. Yeah, and I don't want to jinx it, but I mean, let's just hope that Shogun makes it to Saturday. I mean, his last couple of fights, it's, uh, you know, it's been sort of a last minute thing with the injuries and everything. Uh, but yeah, clearly this is a, you know, veteran versus prospect matchup. How good is Tyson Pedro? He's been a bit of a disappointment. I mean, he fought OSP, looked like he was winning early on, and then he gets caught in that submission. Also lost to uh, Iri Latifi, which, you know, not a bad loss, but still, you know, he's a the guy they want to build up. So this is a big fight for both guys. Um, and then, you know, of course, the main event, like you said, with Tuavasa and, and Dos Santos. I mean, Tuavasa is really the one that I'm sure the UFC is banking on because they need new blood in that division. But if JDS wins, all of a sudden you could do, you know, a fight with him and Francis Nagano. You could do a fight with him and, uh, you know, over him, a rematch or something along those lines. So there are some options here. But, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of moving pieces here. But uh, we'll, we'll see. This is, uh, you know, for a card that's not too flashy, there's a lot of important matchups on here. Jake Matthews and Mark Hunt, a couple of guys that are – our local favorites, essentially Mark Hunt facing Justin Willis, a seven and one opponent. It's heavyweight MMA, and it's Mark Hunt. Anything <laughs> goes. Junior Dos Santos tied to Ivasa, perhaps a little more technically advanced in in uh, that sense. James, what are you looking for out of the co-main and main event? Personally, I have uh, Willis and Dos Santos here. I do have Willis too, but uh, I believe there is some value here on Mark Hunt. You know, Willis has been knocked out in his career, um, you know, and actually, yeah, well, yeah, Willis is a slight favorite at minus 115. So it looks like everyone else agrees uh, as well. And to be honest, I wasn't that impressed with Willis in his last fight against Chase Sherman. We've seen Chase Sherman get finished a number of times and Willis went the distance with him. And that was a little bit disappointing just based off the fact you saw a big finish before that in the fight before that. So, um, you know, he's, he's got to go out there and, and, you know, make do on, on uh, what he's trying to do here and get the win over Mark Hunt. And then, um, you know, the Jay Matthews fight uh you know Tony Martin look or Anthony Rocco Martin got to be politically correct here because he changed his name uh he he uh, looked great in his fight against Ryan LaFlair he makes me think that he's he can make some noise at 170 but Jake Matthews has had a bit of a resurgence fighting at 170 so um if I had to make my picks I'll go I'll go Willis 
Um, but again, I think the value is on Hunt. And if I'm going for Matthews and Martin, I'll go uh, Martin here for this one. Uh, I don't know who the underdog is. Let me just check right now. Uh, yeah, Martin's the underdog. I, I would I would play that for sure because I think Tony's look uh, look really good yeah. ever since say he uh, moved down to Florida and training an American Top Team. Joe, your quick picks for uh, the co-main and main event. Uh, for the main event, uh, I'm for just something about Junior that I, I don't like picking against him. Although uh, Tuivasa, you know, can can bring the heat, but I'm going to go with JDS in that one. Uh, I will also. I'm never going to pick against Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt's the man. Yeah. I'm picking Mark Hunt no matter what. Uh, and I, but James, I do like Jake Matthews in this fight. Believe it or not, I think this is the weight he should have always been at because uh, he had so much potential when he first came to the UFC. And maybe cut it, cutting all that weight um, was a deterrent for him. And now that he's at 170, I think I like him at this weight. We also have Bellator 210 and 211. Really, only one fight we're talking about on 211, the Italian card, Alessio Sakara. They they they're building that around him. That's essentially what they're doing. That Bellator loves going to Italy, so uh, you have that fight on Saturday. But Bellator two hundred and ten has a surprisingly loaded prelim card. I've never seen Bellator load up a prelim card like this. Gerald Harris, Joe Warren, Daniel Weishel, Goiti Yamuchi, Joe Schilling, Chris Honeycutt. What the he- what are they doing, James? I don't know. This prelim card's better than the main card, in my opinion. Yeah. If you look at some of the names on here, it's pretty crazy. Um, and, and Daniel Weichel moving up to lightweight, fighting Yamiuchi. I mean, that's going to be an awesome fight. Um, I, I have no idea what they're what they're doing with this. They also have Jordan Young on the prelims, another guy who's uh, you know undefeated at two hundred five. So I don't know what they're doing here with this. I think they're just like, you know what, guys, uh, we got to file our taxes at the end of the year. We got to make sure we we get these guys the right amount of fights. So we'll just put you all in the prelims just so we we fill our quota for the year or something like that. Because I can't see any other explanation here. Like why is, you know, as much as I like Juan Archuleta, why is he on the main card against Jeremy Spoon when you've got Vaisal and Yamiuchi on the prelims? That makes no sense to me at all. You have Bruna Ellen and Christina Williams on that show. Dave Rickles against former Demi Lovato boyfriend Vascalonis. You have John Salter and Chidi and Jaquani headlining this show. Joe, why is that headlining a show? And why are they doing two shows this weekend when you got Sakara headlining one and you have this headlining another? It doesn't make any sense to me. My job is to be an analyst, (laughs) my job is to be an insider. Somewhat, my job is to look objectively at things. <laughs> I, I don't have an answer for you as to what the heck well, my, my is going on here. Picks on, my quick picks on this one are Inja Rickles, Archuleta, uh, probably Christina Williams, Honeycutt, Shipman. Ah, man, I would like to, to Yamuchi. I'd like to say Schilling, but yeah, Yamuchi, Jordan Young, Joe Warren. Gerald Harris. There are some there are some interesting names on this show. We will have coverage this weekend. James, we got to get you out of here. You got an interview coming up. What else you got going on this week? Uh, not a whole lot on the uh, Fightful end. I mean, we do have a lot of interviews for these upcoming cards here on Fightful. I mentioned the Ben Wynn one. Um, yeah, we got, we got some other ones coming up. If you hadn't seen it last week, we talked to Valentina Shushchenko, so she's going to be fighting uh, for the title next week. So check that out. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, check everything out on Fightful. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, though. I can't, uh, you know, emphasize that enough. Carlos Toro doing some awesome job with the boxing updates. I was telling you off air, you know, I love that because as a casual fan, uh, Carlos sort of gets me up to speed with what's going on. So I like that. And, uh, yeah, all my interviews are on there. And follow me on Twitter at Lynch on Sports. There you go. 
Joe, as we wrap up, what do you have going on this week? What James said. That guy's uh, doing a fantastic job, as is Carlos Toro. Uh, Sean Ross Sapp doesn't sleep. I know that for a fact. Uh, he needs more rest. Me, just follow me online at Showdown Joe for the next three days. You'll probably get a kick uh, out of some of the stuff that I'm posting with my own videos that I'm shooting and editing uh, for the Santa Claus parade going down here in Stouffville <laughs> on Saturday. So uh, I partnered up with a local realtor, a really smart kid, Sean, about your age, but a, he's very, very bright in, in that industry. So I'll be looking like an idiot for the next three or four days on social media. Subscribe. Fightful MMA Boxing on YouTube. Follow me at Sean Ross at visit FightfulMMA.com. Join us this weekend. Lots of coverage. Listen, your boy, 100, 3 p.m. Eastern, Wednesday. We're out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.